Oh, good morning, church. Good morning, and welcome back to our series. We're in this great series called God's Dwelling Place, the story before the story. And I, and I love this series because God's teaching us and showing us his heart. It's showing us who he is and revealing more of himself to us. And a lot of times people think there's a kind of a disconnect between the Old Testament and the New Testament, but it's not. And God wants us to know who he is. And so then we see that more fully as we come into the New Testament. Now, in the Old Testament, we are kind of digging into this thing called the tabernacle, which is something that God had them build, the Israelites, right in the middle of their community to show more of who he is. Uh, you know, maybe you remember the first time you fell in love you were dating somebody, maybe it worked out, maybe it didn't. But, but when you were dating them, you, you wanted to know more about them, didn't you? You were like, well, tell me about when you grew up. You know, tell me about what it was like. Tell me about, you know, and so there's just that fun part as you know the story before the story, right? You know the story that's happening with you right now, but, but there's a story before that that impacts who they are, impacts the decisions they make. And you're like, I want to know that too. And, and that's like the Old Testament is, is you dig deep. You're like, oh, okay, God was revealing himself long ago. This makes sense. And so we're seeing that, and especially with this thing, the tabernacle. As God tells the Israelites, hey, build this right here in your community. I want you to know more about me. Now, let me just do a quick review, because if you've missed a couple of weeks, let me kind of bring you up to speed. But, but when God created man, if you go back to Genesis 1, God created man for a relationship with him. That's why we were all created, right? And so we're all trying to fit, find our place in life. But it only makes sense when we're in this relationship with God. So God created Adam and Eve, put them in the garden. And then the Bible says that God dwelt with them there. Like God showed up. Like God walked with them in the cool of the day. I mean, they were in right relationship with God. And they were in right relationship with one another. And everything was great for two chapters, right? And then you get to Genesis 3. And man says, God, I don't want to do it your way. And man sins takes the apple, says, hey, you know what, or the fruit, and says, hey, God, I'm going to do it my way. But here's the awesome part. God didn't give up on them. And just like when we sin, and we all do, we all make mistakes, God doesn't give up on us. And that is, praise God that he's a God of second chances, and third chances, and fourth chances, and fifth chances. But God didn't give up on them. He calls this guy named Abraham and says, Abraham, leave where you're living, the earth of the Chaldeans, and go to a place I will show you. And I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky. And from you, I'm going to bring the Messiah, the redemption of the world. And so Abraham, at 75 years old, 75 years old, he takes a step of faith. And he goes on this journey with God. So you're never too old to take a step of faith. Right? You're never too old to take a step of faith. And so Abraham comes. He's in the promised land. God blesses him. He has kids. And they have more kids. Right? And all these descendants are coming there. And then what happens? A famine comes to the land. And so they're like, well, let's go down to Egypt, right? And so they go down to Egypt and they're there and God provides from there. But even when the famine's over, they decide they want to stick around in Egypt. And God's going, but this is the place I have for you. And they're like, yeah, but we kind of like it down here. This is nice in Goshen. And, and they're there. And then a Pharaoh comes to power who knows not Joseph. And so this Pharaoh says, hey, you guys are going to be slaves. And enslaves all the Israelites and gets them to work and build all these things. And, and there they are. They're stuck. But we're never stuck, are we? Because there's a God who's bigger than all the things that we face. And they called out to God, God, help. We need deliverance. And you can call out when things get hard or difficult. And God sent a man named Moses. And Moses goes down to Pharaoh and says, hey, Pharaoh, 
let God's people go. And Pharaoh says, no way. This is an economic boom for us. We got all these people doing all this stuff. And God says, okay, well, check out my power then because I'm God, you're not. And 10 plagues come over Egypt. And sure enough, after the 10th plague, the death angel comes and Pharaoh says, you guys go because he's God and I'm not. Right? And so here's a million people walking out of Egypt. God parts the Red Sea, and now they're in the wilderness heading back to the promised land. And they're on this amazing journey going back there. And God sustains his people in the wilderness. God provides food, manna. He provides quail to eat. Right? He provides water from a rock. He takes care of his people. It even says that their shoes didn't wear out in the entire 40 years as they're walking across the wilderness going back to the promised land. And then God says, hey, I want you to build this tabernacle in the center of your community. Now, why did God do that? Because listen, God was taking the children of Israel out of Egypt, but he knew it was going to take years to take Egypt out of the children of Israel. Right? I mean, they have fallen into the culture. They have fallen into the pagan worship. They have fallen into that mindset. And God says, no, 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 no. This is who I am. And from you will come the Messiah. So I want you to radiate me to the world. And so God tells them about building this tabernacle. Now, two weeks ago, Pastor Chase did a great job talking about the Ark of the Covenant, which was the signature piece there in the tabernacle. Because now, right, God wants to dwell with his people, but you've got a holy God and you've got sinful man. And so it's different than when they were in the garden and God was in right relationship with you. Now, all of a sudden, there's this sin thing. And so you see the Ark of the Covenant talking about the holiness of God. Last week, Pastor Nick did a great job talking about each of the furnishings there in the tabernacle and how all those were preparing and pointing us to Christ and our need for redemption and how God deals with our own sin. Now, last year at this time, we were in Israel. And we went and they have built a biblical replica of the tabernacle there in the wilderness in the Negev. And I want you just to kind of see, we're going to do a kind of a flyover here. I want you to see the tabernacle here. And this is the, what it looked like back then, okay? They built this replica today. But you can see this, that God was very specific. And he says, hey, make these curtains and these poles and you're going to come and you're going to assemble this. And when we move, the whole camp moves, you break this down and you reassemble it. But inside of there is the courtyard. And that's where the people would come. And then you have this tent of meeting. And if you pull back the curtain, this was where the priest went. And you can see the lamp on one side. You can see the bread of presence. And then behind a curtain or a veil stood this, the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of Testimony. And this was where God dwelt, the mercy seat of God. And one time a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the high priest would come in and offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people. So you kind of get an overview of what it looked like. The big thing in the front in the courtyard was the bronze altar where they would bring like a, a ram or a lamb and they would offer sacrifice for their sins. And then there's the wash basin where the priests would wash their hands and their feet before they walked in to this tent of meeting, before they walked in to be with God. And so you see all of this together in this bronze altar where they would offer the sacrifices. You see the four horns on that. They would put the blood there because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. So something had to pay the price for sin. And all of this was leading up to Jesus, right? Our sacrificial lamb, the one whose blood redeems us and restores us. So everything in the Old Testament is pointing to Christ. Everything is preparing us 
for the Messiah. So now, if you have a Bible with you this morning, open with me to Exodus 31. Exodus 31. Oh, this is so good today, guys. I'm pumped. I'm excited. So I hope you're ready. But if you're taking notes this morning, number one, the first blank is this. Assembling the tabernacle included everyone. Assembling the tabernacle included everyone. Now, if you don't have a Bible with you, maybe you've got a mobile device, you can access the scriptures online at YouVersion. Uh, but also, if you're taking notes, dial in with us, and we're going to pick up here. Exodus 31, we're just going to walk through this whole chapter this morning. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, okay? So Moses is up on Mount Sinai. God's given him all these instructions for the people down below. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezaliel, son of Uri, and the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of craftsmanship. Moreover, I have appointed Aholiab, son of Ahismelech, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. Okay? So all these, you know, kind of names, and they're hard to pronounce sometimes, but they all are significant. Also, I have given skill to all the craftsmen to make everything I have commanded you. The tent of meeting, so you saw that in the video, right? The ark of the testimony, the ark of the covenant, with the atonement cover, the mercy seat of God right there on it, and all the fur other furnishings of the tent. The table, that's where the bread of presence would go, and its articles, the pure gold lampstand, that was the menorah, and all its accessories, and the altar of incense. Now the altar of incense sat right between the holy place and the holy of holies. And every morning and every night, the priest would light the altar of incense. What's kind of cool too, by the way, this is just a little aside. But that incense was also not just a sweet-smelling aroma to God. It was also an insect repellent. I love how God takes dual purposes. I mean, you know, it's like God's just like thinking ahead, right? Okay, make sure. You know, and so here's the altar of incense. The altar of burnt offering. You saw that big uh, altar there. And all its utensils, the basin with its stand. And also the woven garments, both the sacred garments for Aaron. Aaron was Moses' brother. He's kind of the high priest here. The priest and the garments of his sons when they serve as priests and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place. They are to make them just as I have commanded you. All right, so here's what I want you to see. I want you to see this. God's saying to Moses, God is saying, hey, I want you to assemble this tabernacle, this tent of meeting. But listen, Moses, here's the deal. You're not to do it just by yourself, right? Moses was not called to build the tabernacle by himself. And I think this is important because sometimes God gives us a vision about a ministry or sometimes God gives us a vision about reaching people or discipling. And sometimes we think we have to do it all ourselves. And God's going, no, 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 no. I put you in community for a reason. And in fact, God goes, hey, there's these two guys, Basiliel, right, and Aholiab. And these guys are to be the project managers. These guys are to come in. But it's going to take everyone but these guys are uniquely gifted and uniquely skilled. Get these guys to lead out. Then if you go to verse 6, it says it's going to take all the craftsmen, right? Also, I've given skill to all the craftsmen. So when you come from Exodus 31, in Exodus 35 and 36, when they actually start to build the tabernacle, 
It involves the entire community. Everybody had a part to play. People are bringing gifts, tithes, offerings. Women were like sewing the curtains and getting everything together. Uh, the men were doing all kinds of lifting and moving. But it was the whole place involved. And here's a great principle that we see in the Old Testament that's still true today. And it's true in the New Testament. God invites all of us to join him in what he's doing. God invites you to join him in what he's doing. You see, did God need the people back then to make a tabernacle? No, he's God, right? I mean, he created the whole earth, right? He made the mountains and the oceans. I mean, God could have just made a tabernacle and dropped it in the center of the community, right? But here's what God knows. When you and I get involved, that's when our faith grows. And in order to reach our full potential in Christ, in order to reach our full potential, we have to get involved in what God's doing. And that was the principle back then, and it's still the principle today. Right? And today, it's not just, hey, one person and you do church. And it's everybody. It's God inviting us all to be a part of what he's doing. So look over at the parallel in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13. In verse 20, it says this. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you, all right? Equip you. So look at this. May the God of peace equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You have a gift. You have a talent. You have a skill. You have an ability. And God wants to use that for his glory. God wants to take and redeem that. Now, where did Basiliel and Aholiab, where, where did they learn their craft? In Egypt, right? And then when God gives them a shout out and says, hey, Moses, go talk to these two guys. They're going to be the project managers. Don't you think those guys just went, yeah, we were building stuff for Pharaoh. Now we get to build stuff for God. How cool is this? We get to build stuff that's going to impact generations. I love that. You know, even right now, there's people in the preschool area and they're serving back there with kids and they're incredible and they love it and they understand about raising up a generation. There's people working with children and they're awesome and many of them are teachers and they've been trained and over here, but, but they're taking and applying that. Every one of us can apply the gifts that we have been given to further God's kingdom and not just our own. You see what I'm saying? I mean, a lot of times we just like, oh, maybe I have this gift and I can go and use it to make money. And God's going, oh, yeah, but I gave you that gift also to further my kingdom and to build my church and to bring glory to me. And when you start to do that, then it's like, yeah, this is fun. And you lock arms with other believers and you serve and you just get excited about it. And it's easy sometimes to kind of slip in and sit on the sidelines and sit and soak, which is great, you know, or learning and growing. But but when you start to use your hands and say, God, use me. There's people who have the gift of logistics and they're out there moving cars around. There's people who have the gift of hospitality. They're smiling, they're waving as you walk in. There's people who have the gift of whatever, of serving, and they're just using that gift. And that's what it tells us in Romans. Romans chapter 12, in verse 6, it, it says, We have different gifts according to the grace given us. We have different gifts. You have a gift. Maybe you think, I, I don't know if I got a gift. I mean, maybe I got left out. No, you didn't. You got a gift. When you committed your life to Christ, God placed his Holy Spirit within you and gave you a gift, right? 
Sometimes we, we look at people who can speak or sing or we think, but no, every gift is important. Every gift is invaluable. And every, whatever gift you have, if a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. And that goes back to the Old Testament. That goes back to the heartbeat of God. God doesn't need us. He's sovereign. But God knows our faith grows as we serve him. God knows our love for him grows as we use the gifts and the talents he's given us. In Exodus 31, I just want you to notice this thing in verse 3. When God says, Bazilial, and he says, hey, call him, be a project manager. It says in verse 3, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God. The first time anybody's filled with the Spirit of God, it's not a pastor or a prophet or somebody. It's a craftsman. And God says, hey, I'm going to use him for my glory. Sometimes we don't want to serve. We don't want to get involved because we're like, ah, I don't know enough, right? I don't know all the books of the Bible. I don't know all these things. And God's going, no, I'm going to fill you with my spirit. You just become the hands and feet of Christ. That's a biblical principle. And it's so exciting when you and I serve, when you and I get involved. And assembling the tabernacle took everyone and building God's church takes everyone today. Second thing I want you to see is this, if you're taking notes. The tabernacle shows us God's emphasis on worship and rest. The tabernacle shows us God's emphasis on worship and rest. Pick up at verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbath. This will be a sign between me and you for generations to come. So you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Now, holy means to be different. Holy means to be set apart, okay? Observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it must be put to death. Whoever does any work on that day must be cut off from his people. For six days work is to be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of rest. Holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day must be put to death. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for generations to come as a lasting covenant. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he abstained from work and rested. Okay, this is pretty strong, right? Here's what God says. I want you to build this tabernacle, and I want it to be a place of worship, but I also want you to observe a Sabbath. Why? Because here's the fact. God wants you to be healthy. God wants you to be healthy. He wants you to be healthy physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, and God knows how he made us. God knows how he wired us. So God says, hey, here is the importance of the tabernacle. It's a time for you to focus on God, right? You come. Remember, God's taking you out of Egypt, but God's got to take Egypt out of you. So come one day a week, focus on me, worship me. So here you have the importance of worship and this time to focus on God. But secondly, you have the importance of Sabbath. And Sabbath literally means rest. It means rest. Now, if you look at this, God's taking it pretty seriously, right? Two times he says, hey, if anybody does any work on the Sabbath, they should die. 
And you're going, okay, God, that's a little hardcore, right? I mean, what's the deal? I mean, well, I mean, really, is it that big of a deal? And God goes, oh, yeah, because I know you. I made you. I know how you're wired. I know what's going to happen. And he says this to the Israelites. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to go to the promised land. I'm going to give you houses you didn't build, vineyards you didn't plant, because there's people living there right now that I'm going to move out of the way because that's your land. You're going to walk in there. And then here's what you're going to do. You're going to get there and you're going to say, "Woo, this is fantastic. But I can make my house bigger. And I've got this field, but I can grow more crops. And if I can do that for six days, then just imagine what I can do in seven days. And then you're just going to kind of spin out of control. And see, here's what's going to happen. There's going to be one person who's going to start it. And then everybody's going to follow that mindset. And everybody's going to fall in love with the stuff. I know you. And I want you to have a day to worship. And I want you to have a day to rest. Some of you may remember when computers first came out. Do you remember this? They did these studies and they presented it all to Congress. And here's what they found. They said that computers are going to make everybody's work week so much more productive that it's going to cut the work week down to about 20 hours a week. That's what they found. You can go back. They presented that to Congress. 20-hour work weeks because of the computer. Now, does anybody work 20 hours a week? <laughs> no. Why? Because we said, hey, if we can get that much done in 20 hours, what can we do in 40 hours? What can we do in 60 hours? What can we do in 80 hours? Right? And it just becomes a rat race. God knows this. There was a guy who came up and talked to me a couple weeks ago, and, and, and he said, Jeff, you know, I just I went to the doctor for a checkup. And the doctor looked at me, and, and the doctor said, um, are you stressed? And I said, of course I'm stressed. I mean, man, I'm working all the time. I'm traveling. I got a big job, you know. And I've got a wife. I got kids. I got all these things I'm responsible for. Yeah, I'm stressed. And the doctor goes, well, are you tired? He's like, well, yeah, I'm tired. I mean, you know, like, I mean, I'm doing all this stuff. I'm running around and everything. And then the doctor looked at me and said, well, are you happy? And he goes, you know, I just had to stop and think, I don't know. And he goes, that's why I'm here. I want to talk to you about that. And see, I think many times in our lives, we could go along with the crowd, right? But God says, I want you to be holy. I want you to be different. I want you to be set apart. And where everybody else is just saying, hey, I'm going to go full bore, man. I'm going to do everything. And, I'm going to, and we get exhausted at the end of the day. And you know the old saying, right? If mama's not healthy and happy, nobody's healthy and happy, right? If daddy's not healthy and happy, Nobody cares. No, I'm <laughs> just playing. But, but seriously, moms, you know this, right? If you're not healthy, that's why dads, we can get a dad cold and we're down for like three days. Moms, you're like, you're just pressing through. You're so much tougher than we are. But, you know, you're just like, because you know there's people who are dependent on you and it matters. But God says, I want you to be healthy. And you can't run like this. You can't go full board. In fact, he says, even the land, when you come in, every seven years, you let the land rest. Because the land needs to rejuvenate. It's funny how agricultural scientists have come back and said, oh yeah, that makes sense. You take all the nutrients out. And you know, God's going, yes. But guys, listen, I want to ask you this. Are you observing a Sabbath? It's important that we come to worship. But it's important that we figure out how to rest too. And sometimes we go, well, I got a vacation, you know, and that's going to be my time of rest. And we're like, really? Sometimes we need a vacation from our vacation. You know what I'm saying? 
It's like, well, I took the kids to Disney World and I walked 15 miles a day and now I'm exhausted. And you're like coming back more tired than when you left. But God says, no, that's not the way I wired you. I wired you to be healthy. You know, I grew up playing sports. And many of your parents and you have kids and, and youth sports today, man. I mean, used to, right? It was like Sunday was kind of that time off and people respected that. And there were blue laws and everything else, but Wednesday nights were kind of protected. But now it's like your travel team and you're a travel team at five and you think if my kid doesn't get there and they're not a part of that, then, then man, their life's gonna be out of control. But I just have to ask us, what are we teaching our kids? And I've seen it so many times that, you know, it's great for sports and it's fun and you don't become legalistic about it. But sometimes you have to say, hey, I can't have my kid traveling all the time and missing out on church and on worship and on rest because they're not healthy. And every one of us, we're modeling what we value. And what am I showing to my kids that's important? What am I showing to them that they value? You may remember the movie Chariots of Fire came out in 1981 and it was about Eric Liddell and, and his parents were Scottish missionaries. They were Christian missionaries to China. And here he was at a young age and he figured out, man, I've got this gift for running. And, it, and he says, I, I just feel like when I run, I bring glory to God. And he was great. I mean, incredibly gifted. But he said, even at a young age, he said, you know what? I'm, my parents taught me about Sabbath and about rest and about worship, being in church. And it was important to him. Well, in 1924, he was running for Great Britain, and he won where he could go to the Olympics. So he's going to the Olympics in 1924, and it just happened, though, that the 100-meter race fell on the Sabbath. And he had a decision to make. And he came down and said, no, I'm not going to run. I'm not going to do it. And people think, that's crazy. Well, how can he do that? What are you thinking? You're in the Olympics. He goes, no, this is what I value. This is what's important to me. And if you know the story, a teammate who was run, supposed to run in the 400 couldn't run, ended up allowing Eric to run in the 400 meters in the Olympics. He'd never run that distance. That wasn't his distance. His distance was 100 meters. But I want to tell you, somehow, I just believe with all my heart, it's just like tithing. It's just like God honors it when you trust him, when you follow him. And Eric, you know, he, he spoke at a church and he used Isaiah 40, 31, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And he ran in that 400 meter race in the Olympics and he won. I mean, nobody pictured that. Nobody thought that. But he won a gold medal. And he goes back then later on in China to be a missionary and to share the gospel. I just believe that my heart got honors that. You know, you know why? Because we all love Christian chicken, don't we? We love Chick-fil-A, right? Christian chicken. I mean, we, we love it, right? We get excited about it. But you know, here's a company that's done it right. I mean, this, this company, it's closed on Sundays and you're thinking, what? And you know how many people come to them and go, you're crazy. Every other fast food place is open, right? You're falling behind McDonald's. You're falling behind Burger King. You're not ever going to be good enough. You're not ever going to measure up at Chick-fil-A. Oh, yeah, just watch this. And we're just going to honor what God says right here. We're just, just watch this, right? People are going to fall in love with Christian chicken. And sure enough, man, I mean, you talk about billions of dollars, but true and Kathy just held by what he valued. 
And Truett Kathy knew, hey, if I take a day off the Sabbath, my employees are going to be healthy. They are going to love working here. They're going to be in a place where they can go to worship on Sundays. They're going to be with their families. And here's what else I know. People are going to drive by Chick-fil-A on that Sunday, and they're going to start to salivate. They're going to say, I can't wait for Monday because I'm going to get me even more chicken sandwich, right? You know, it's just smart. And I think for all of us, that temptation's going to come. Or it's already here. And we have to say, hey, what do I value? What's the priority? And God was teaching it all the way back here in the second book of the Bible. Remember worship and rest and what you value. Here's the third thing we see out of Exodus 31. This is so powerful. The tabernacle is the visual expression of the heart of God. The tabernacle is the visual expression of the heart of God. When the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the testimony, the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. So here's Moses on Mount Sinai, right? And, and God hands him the Ten Commandments. And he says, okay, you go down and you read these to the people. See, God wants us to know his heart and his desire for us. There's some religions where the supreme being is unknowable or unapproachable, but that's not Christianity. Christianity is about God coming to us. Tabernacle literally means dwelling. That God wants us to know his heart. He wants us to know how to live. He wants us to understand how life makes sense. God gives the Ten Commandments to the people. And he says, here's the Ten Commandments. These are important. You're coming out of Egypt where you were living a whole different way, but this is how I'm calling you to live. And then take those Ten Commandments, put them in the Ark of the Covenant, put it in the Holy of Holies, put it at the center of your camp, put it at the center of your life, because I want you to know me. Now, if you look at the Ten Commandments, Commandments 1 through 4, right, are all about our relationship with God. They're all about our relationship with God. No other gods before me. Remember, they're coming out of Egypt where they had like a moon god, a sun god, and all these other. No, 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 no other gods before me. Hey, no idols. No idols. Back then, they had these little idols they would take in their homes. We still have idols today, right? No idols, right? Hey, third, don't misuse the name of the Lord. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. I mean, sometimes you're around people and they, you know, drop a curse word every now and then. You're like, ah, whatever, you know. But when somebody takes the Lord's name in vain, doesn't it just kind of get all over you? You're like, stop. That's, that's holy. I mean, it's a character, the nature of God. Four, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. That's one of the big four, right? I mean, you're talking, I mean, that's important. Now, I think you don't have to be legalistic about it. I mean, there's times that things happen in life. And, and if you look in the New Testament, Jesus comes along and the Pharisees have become, you know, very legalistic and had only you can walk this distance, only you can carry this much. And Jesus goes, no, you're missing it. It's the heart of it. You can heal on the Sabbath. You do good on the Sabbath. But just remember the Sabbath. It's a time to worship. It's a time to rest. But after one through four, five through ten are all about our relationship with others. We're all about our relationship with others. Number five, honor your father and mother. That's important. There's not an expiration date on that, by the way. So not like till you get to middle school or high school and you know more than your parents. It's honor your father and mother, right? That's important. And then you have do not murder, do not steal, do not commit adultery, do not lie, do not covet whatever's your neighbor's. And he's, God's saying, listen, I want you to be different. I want you to live this way. When Jesus comes along, he says, let me just fulfill it all with this. I'll boil all the law and the prophets down. <laughs> love God 
and love others. Are you loving God? Are you falling more in love with Him? And are you loving the people around you? See, all the way back here at Exodus 31, God is showing us His heart. God's calling us to live differently. God's calling us to be men and women who follow Him and who demonstrate to a world a God of grace and a God of mercy and a God of love, a God who longs to be with us, to dwell with us. Just like God called the Israelites out of Egypt, and it took them a long time to get Egypt out of the Israelites, God's called us out of the world. God's redeemed us and restored us by the grace of Christ, but it takes a long time to get the world out of us. And it's a process of us growing deeper in our faith, studying the Word, praying, focusing on Him. And that's where life truly comes alive. As we serve, as we give, as we pray, as we know Him. Here's what uh, St. Augustine said. St. Augustine said, You have made us for Yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in You. Our heart is restless until it rests in you. And isn't that so true? Maybe you're here today and you're restless. You're just restless with worry. You're restless with fear. You're restless with anxiety. Maybe you're restless trying to keep up with everybody around you. Maybe you're restless trying to be somebody you're not. Your heart's always going to be restless until you rest in him. Until you come and say, God, you're enough for me. Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want my identity to be found in you and in you alone. I want my heart in your hands. So today, are you stressed? Are you tired? Are you happy? Where's your heart? Are you resting in the things of this world and that's why you're restless? Or you say, no, 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 no. I'm resting in God. I'm resting in Him. And whatever His plans are, I'm trusting Him today. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what's going on in your heart, but God does. And God, God alone is the one who could change a heart. And God, God alone is the one who bring healing or bring hope or bring peace. It's only Him. Maybe right where you sit, you just say, God, I need you. I've been trying to do life on my own. And God, I'm tired. Father, come in and redeem me. Restore me. Make me new. Maybe today is a day of salvation where you just say, Lord Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I'm committing my life to you. Maybe today is a day where you just say, I'm tired of trying. <laughs> I'm tired of trying to be somebody I'm not. God, I want to be real. And God, I want to rest in you. I want to find my identity in Christ. I want to be healthy spiritually, emotionally, physically. God, I want you at the center of my heart. So, Father God, here we are, your disciples today. And God, we admit that, God, you've redeemed so many of us, and yet so often we go back to the way of the world, and we go back to trying to live like that. But I pray that we would be wholly different, set apart, 
that our identity would come in you, that we would hear from you that we are loved, that we are redeemed, that we are restored, that we are made new, that we would hear today that you love us. So Father, meet us in this moment. Dwell in us richly because we love you. I want you just to take some time and be with the Lord right now. Just you and him. What's God saying to you today?